Hello again, and welcome to this Radio Stockton Heath podcast. Have you ever noticed how your taste changes over time? I'm not saying this just in a metaphorical sense, I'm also suggesting it literally too. Although, combining literal and metaphorical, an example of this is, as a child at Christmas, I think I'm fairly confident in suggesting that most kids hate sprouts. Now, I know some of you are saying, what do you mean? My child loves them. But I did say most. I know I did. As a six-year-old, I'm sure I couldn't think of anything worse than eating sprouts. However, now, much later, I absolutely adore them. Christmas lunch would be useless without sprouts. In fact, I'd be quite happy to have a plate full of sprouts, so long as my father-in-law grew them and prepared them and cooked them. I'm not entirely sure what he does with them, but they taste absolutely fabulous. Anyway, that's one example, both metaphorical and literal, in that our taste does change over time. Something else I'm quite partial to is beer. When I was around about... I'm trying to think how old I was. I'm guessing I was about 11 or 12. Maybe 13, I can't really remember. I used to work at a restaurant in Stockton Heath. It's not there any longer. I don't mean Stockton Heath's not there any longer. I mean the particular restaurant. Do any of you remember the prime rib? Where Costello's is now, and that clove shop next door that I never remember its name, well, that was originally a car park, and set back, maybe about 20 feet, was a row of shops, and one of the buildings there housed a restaurant, the Prime Rib. Well, as I say, when I was around about 11 or 12 or possibly 13, I used to work there trying to get some pocket money washing up. My mother was one of the waitresses there, and whilst washing up one evening, the chef said to my mother, It's about time that lad of yours drank some beer. Now, of course, as a teenager, I'd never drunk beer at that point, but I was quite keen. It seemed like a great idea. So, a few moments later, a pint of beer appeared. I tasted it, and it was foul. I'd never tasted anything quite as bad as that before, apart from sprouts. Although, I think it was a dead heat. I think it actually took me all of my shift of around about four or five hours washing up all evening to try and drink it all. I don't remember managing it. And as it turned out, what I thought was a pint of beer was actually a shandy. Half bitter, half lemonade. Now I'm only pointing this out of course because, as I say, taste does change. What I thought was absolutely repellent at the time, I quite like now. Not keen on lemonade though. It's far too sweet. And that's another point, isn't it? When you're a kid, all you want to live on is sweets, really. But as you get older, your taste changes from sweet to savoury. So that's what I mean about your taste literally changing but also your taste will change metaphorically over time as well. The type of music I used to listen to as a kid still resides in my expanding CD collection. CDs, remember them? We had records and CDs before we had MP3s and streaming. I wonder what will be the next music distribution method designed to sell us stuff again we already bought years ago. Anyway, as I say, those records or CDs of my youth are still in my possession, but they rarely get played unless it's midnight And too many bottles of Pinot Melancholia have been drunk with a glass of nostalgia as a chaser. The type of music I did listen to in my youth rarely gets played today. Instead, I'm always searching out different types of new music. Although, to be fair, I think I'm unusual in that respect. Most of my mates today still listen to the same music as they did decades ago. I wonder why that is. Why do some people stop developing musical taste and some don't? I don't know the answer. Possibly you do. If you do, let me know. Anyway, why am I talking about all of this? 
Well, in my youth, I played in a few bands and insisted I would never play cover songs. I was only interested in writing original songs with my musical writing buddy from school, Peter Jones. Ironically, he's still writing, but now he only writes novels. You can check him out at his website. I'll put a link up on the show notes for this podcast how you can find him. Anyway, recently, I've had quite a number of conversations with Warrington-based musicians that are quite divided on the subject of cover songs versus original material. On the one hand, my drummer mate Paul, from She and the Nanigans, only perform cover songs, because, as he says, that's what the public pay to see. I think he's got a valid point there, because most non-musicians tend to want to be entertained with songs that they know. Now what I like about She and the Nanigans is they try to record or play versions of famous songs but do them in their own style and with their own arrangements. As an example, I recently mixed and mastered a song for them. I'm sure you're going to know it, I won't introduce it, but I think you'll agree their version of it is quite a treasure. Have a listen. Give me your, give me your, give me your attention baby I wanna tell you a little something about yourself you're wonderful, flawless, ooh, you a sexy lady But you're walking around here like you want to be someone else Oh, oh, I know that you don't know it, but you're fine, so fine Oh, 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 girl, I'm gonna show you when you're mine, oh, mine Treasure interesting about She and the Nanigans is one member of the band, Chris, does perform also with original material and is gaining a good following using the name Kindest of Thieves. It's completely different to the Nanigans stuff. Have a quick listen to his new album. You'll find a link to his SoundCloud page. Here's a taster. Good use of the word there. Admit it, seeing as we're talking about taste. Anyway, here's the taster. She must be me. She's in my dreams again. What I like about Chris's attitude is, as a consummate musician, he can perfectly adapt and play alongside the Nanigans, doing cover material and making it sound like his own, but also, as we've just heard, he writes and performs his own original stuff. Additionally, as a sort of mixture of the two, Chris asked me recently if he could come into my studio and record some songs, cover songs, but in his own style. He was looking for a sort of very lo-fi, Tom Waits style sound. Have a quick listen. Each other. Our mother said we could be sister and brother. 
opposite end of the spectrum to performing and recording cover songs is another Appleton-based musician friend, Ray Humphreys. Ironically, Ray originally started playing in a covers band, but now will not entertain recording or playing anything but his own original material. I'd not seen him for a while, so I recently went over to his Appleton Thorn business. Well, I say Appleton Thorn, it's on the road between Appleton Thorn and Arley Hall, so I'm not exactly sure if it still falls under Appleton Thorn. Anyway, I went over to see him in his office that's adjacent to his recording studio, and we had a quick catch-up over coffee. Now, I'm quite embarrassed to say I forgot to say thank you to the person who made me coffee whilst we were chatting in Ray's office. So, if the lady who made me coffee is listening to this, thank you very much. I'm sorry I didn't mention it at the time. Anyway, I went to catch up with Ray, and I assumed we'd be talking for about 10 minutes, and within that 10 minutes I would use a minute or so for a future podcast. However, it turned out we talked for over an hour. We started off by talking about how we met, around about 10 years ago. We actually met at a mutual friend's party, and that mutual friend, Mark Petherbridge, is now playing drums for Ray on all of his recordings. We then moved on to talk about how we use the same music software, and methods of getting the best out of it. I was quite fascinated when I saw you come up with this because, you know, since we first met, we, we got chatting because of the Cubase. And what happened was we were chatting and obviously there was the Muso Association and we started chatting about recording. And I said, I've been into that, but I said, you know, I don't do very much. And we got together. You came up to see me. And I think from what I'd been saying to you about, I think obviously I was doing a bit more recording than how I'd perhaps put it across when I was talking to you. And then you came up, we had a session booked with the tribal elders and you took the controls while we were recording. And we recorded a track called Cardboard City. And did I mix it here or did I take it? Well, you then took it and mixed it at your studio. And of course, in that process, I came down to yours. And from that initial recording, you said to me, why don't we do some stuff? That's a great track, I can't Yeah. Yeah. Nighttime is falling. There's snow on the ground. People are talking. Are they just making sound? It brings with a chill Survival is hard It's a sheer test of will afterwards whether it was a month or six months or a year I can't remember but you said to me you had a keyboard player who wanted to put some Fender Rhodes on yeah it didn't work. No, it didn't work. I mean, my whole policy of recording is I sort of obviously want to get my songs recorded. I want to use good people. Yeah. And thankfully, I know some fantastic yeah. musicians yeah. who've sat in. And, you know, sometimes you invite people down. Sometimes they put something on that works. Sometimes, 
it doesn't work. And the great thing about it is the facilities we've got, it's not as though the cash tills running and you're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. There's no time pressure on us at all. And indeed, a lot of the people who've been down have said to me afterwards, I tell you, this is fantastic. Well, it is, isn't it? Because there's no red light and there's no, you know, clock ticking away. Yeah. Well, I think that the, 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 the taking the pressure away from the recording scene is what works. And, and what has been also equally brilliant, I think, is the fact that it's been an opportunity to see friends who I've not seen for a time. Yeah. You know, you come in and we're very relaxed. We have a cup of tea. Okay, it's not very rock and roll. Right. It's only a cup of tea. <laughs> but, um, you know, and you can have a bit of a chat, catch up to date. You can then roll the conversation into what it is that we're actually trying to achieve. And Does really do all this prior to recording the song? How we work on recording a song is, one, depending on what instrumentation we want on it, but if it's a band-type track, what I initially do is I get Mark Petherbridge and Mike Evans, yeah. the bass player, and we get together and I basically play the song on an acoustic guitar yeah. and we have a bit of a chat about the song and I tell them what direction I want it to go in. Right, so do you have a clear idea in your mind of the arrangement? The song will never change its structure, will it? No, but what can happen is the fact that the other guys and or ladies in some cases, help develop the song because you might just get, well, well, we've got the structure of the song, but the drummer and the bass player may put a slightly different beat to it, yeah. you know, a, a bass drum pattern that's a little bit different to what yeah. I would have put on it if I'd been, you know, programming a drum yeah. machine. Yeah. So that sometimes takes the song in a slightly different direction. The only time I feel alive is when I lie asleep for in my dreams I hear again The sounds so rich and so deep Then as I wake back before my eyes Are open wide to see I hear again the air rush through my head I'm not free Call off the howling wind It's driving me insane during his recording process, during the recording sessions. One of the things that he gets out of it is that it's quite a social event. A number of musician friends of Ray's contribute to the recording, and perhaps some of these musicians Ray hasn't seen for a while. Another musician friend of mine, James Ball, from The Beard Band, has also had a similar idea, in that he started something that he calls the Monday Club. A lot of people work over the weekend and therefore don't really get the opportunity to go out, socialise and watch and listen to some good music. 
I went to one of the recent Monday clubs, down at Grappenall's Ram's Head. I've not been down to the Ram's Head for ages, to be quite honest with you, and I was quite surprised about how well the pub has been done up. And not only that, there was some great beer on. Have I said I like beer? So, here I am on a warm August summer evening. I've travelled over to one of Warrington's prettiest small villages, Grappenhall Village. As always, it's peaceful, only the birdsong breaking the silence. I've arrived before the Monday Club is about to kick off, and because there is a little bit of time left, I'll have a look around at what this cobbled stone village offers. Do you know, I've never seen a house for sale along Church Lane's cobbled street, which I suppose is unsurprising, really. Who'd ever want to move away from here? I expect it has changed considerably in reality, but it always looks peaceful and undisturbed. Grappenhall was mentioned in the Doomsday Book, written in 1086, 20 years after the Battle of Hastings. Do you know, I never actually realised the Doomsday Book was originally called the Great Survey, and was really conducted by King William the Conqueror as a means to determine what taxes had been owed during the reign of King Edward the Confessor. Grappenhall, or Gropenhull, as it was known, had a valuation of five shillings. Now I think some enterprising beer brewer should make a pint today called Grappenhall Five Shillings. I'm not suggesting it should sell for 25 pence though. Old money. I can still work it out. Or even a Grappenhall brewer could produce a strong ale and call it Doomsday. In fact, I think a range of Grappenhall beers could be brewed. Maybe one inspired by the carving of a cat that's looking down at me and across the village, part way up the 76 feet high church tower of St. Wilfred's. It's said, although I don't know if this is really true, but it has been said that this carving inspired Lewis Carroll to create the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. I might nip over to Darsbury for a later podcast and see if I can find out a definitive answer. The existing St. Wilfred's was opened in 1874, although it was initially completed in 1120, 34 years after the Doomsday Book was written, but rebuilt again 400 years later, predating Shakespeare. And the church itself is a Grade 1 listed building, and actually is one of 29 listed buildings in the Grappenall and Thelwall Parish. The Pickering Arms at Thelwall is Grade 2. Anyway, I think I'll go into the pub now, the Ram's Head. There are two here, next door to each other, However, I have said I will come down to the Monday Club and have a quick chat with James. Do you know, for a Monday evening, the Ram's Head here in Grappenhall is really busy. Well, certainly in this room, where the Monday Club is now underway. I think James and Craig and Rick really work well together. They have the ability to play any song that you shout out and perform it in their own way. Work your double time on the seduction line. She was one of a kind, she was my own mind. She just no applause and got no cause. Made a meal out of me, come back for more. Had to cool me down another round. Back in the ring, took another swing. Cause the walls were shaking, the earth was breaking. My mind was aching, and we were making it new. Took me all night long 
Anyway, whilst I was there, I had a quick chat to James about exactly what the Monday Club is. Uh, the Monday Club is a bit of an idea about a place for people who work weekends to come and musicians, musicians, people who work in bars, people who work in restaurants, scaffolders are welcome. Right. That's all right. Uh, any anybody, uh, the, the fire industry. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right, yeah. People who work at the weekends who can have who, who work most weekends, so they can have their weekend, their Saturday night on a Monday night. Because I've not seen any of my mates for so long, so I thought, well, if I do a night, that way they'll come. It's, it's a night for everybody on an unconventional night. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's an early start, and if. If you can come for an hour, if you come for a couple of hours, that's brilliant. How are you coping without the van? <laughs> I'm a little bit distraught, really, about my van at the minute. Oh, uh, no, it's, in the, it's in the garage. Oh, it is fixable. I've not had a phone call from him, so I don't know if that means he's already oh, on it and it's already costing money. It's in the or if, already. If it's, yeah, if it's terminal, like, so we'll, we'll find out what's going to happen. But that means that I can have a drink tonight. So. Right. So as we heard there, not only do James and Chris and Rick play any song that you care to ask for, often in their own way, but he's also had some recent van trouble. Now I was tempted to ask for a Van Morrison song, but decided against it. Anyway, I'll draw this podcast to a close now. Now that I've considered the pros and cons of musicians either performing their own material or covers, or indeed a blend of the two. Just out of interest, when you're out, what do you prefer to listen to? What's your taste? What's your choice? I started this podcast by talking about how our taste changes as we get older. Clearly our music taste changes. I bet your taste in food literally changes too. As you get older, your taste buds can't detect salt as much as when you were younger. What about films or TV? I bet you watched more cartoons as a kid than you do today. What about politics? It's said the young vote to the left, but turn right as they get older. What about types of holiday? You don't see many brash 48 to 52 holidays advertised, do you? There's a reason for that. Now, the Monday Club over at the Ramshead in Grappenhall is great for listening to music, but it's not just about the music. As James said, it's also a social event. Now let me just qualify something. It was at the Ram's Head on that particular occasion. It does move from pub to pub every time. So if you're a landlord, why don't you get in contact with James and get him to come over and do a Monday club at your pub? It's bound to boost your beer sales on a Monday. I can't remember how many were there on that Monday. Maybe 30 or 40 extra. Although, to be fair, it did look like 60. But that's beer for you. Anyway, as I say, it's not just about the music. It's also a social event. And in fact, I socialised with a friend of mine, local bluesman, Def Apple Jefferson, as we talk nonsense outside the pub in the beer garden. Well, it's not really a beer garden, more of an outside drinking area. Although it is very pleasant. There aren't many better locations to drink beer in the early evening sunshine, dipping down behind the church. I'm not sure how we got onto the subject, but we got talking about everyday phrases that we hear, but we don't necessarily know their origin. My mate Matt has a services background, in terms of his family anyway, and we got talking about that phrase we hear sometimes, going commando, and this is what he told me about it. I've heard 
heard this phrase going commando a million times and I have no idea where it comes from. There's got to be a, a reason why we have this phrase going commando. The one that I heard, which was from my grandfather, he was 7th Armoured Division, North Africa, Northern Europe. So he knows about the Second World War. So he was there, he saw it first and he got hurt, he, he had the shrapnel to prove yeah, he everything. He took a few, he had a tattoo of a butterfly on his arm that was amazing. He got shot through the butterfly wing, spun round. It was the most amazing tattoo ever. My biggest regret of my life is that I never took a picture of it to have it replicated because I think it would be an amazing piece of artwork. Anyway, anyway, he told me this story. Prior to the Normandy invasions, there was a lot of British commando activity on the northern French beaches to um, undertake soil samples and stuff to, to work out if British tanks could score across the beaches so without prior, sinking. So prior to the invasion, they have to do that to yeah. ensure tanks, whatever, don't sink. Don't sink in the sand. Exactly, yeah. So these commandos are going over there and to, to uh, keep their guns water dried, they were using large prophylactics, should we say, manufactured by a certain well-known company beginning with D, ending in X, based at the time in the West Midlands, I believe. Good old Winston Churchill, the miner's favourite, he's up there. Um, <laughs> he's up there uh, undertaking a bit of a morale-boosting visit to the, the good old ladies that are making these balloons. And he makes a throwaway comment, on these, I mean, that four foot long condoms. So what he's making he's walking his... around a factory, he just makes his throwaway line. He makes a throwaway line about, shouldn't we put small, extra small on the on these condoms? So the factory decide to sort of print these on. So they do. And this anyway, is to humiliate. This is just to make, I don't know, maybe it's perpetuating the myth that British commanders have got very large whatever, makes them yeah. more manly. These things start washing up on the northern French beaches. And as you can imagine, either paratroopers or commandos, I think the commandos would go on a sub and then the sub would come up, get out on a little dinghy and row ashore right. with their gun in a the machine gun in a condom they'd get on the beach they'd really get ready for action your condom would come off these condoms these massive condoms are washing around on french beaches obviously this thing makes its way back to german high command who suddenly uh, think this is a bit of a bit of a situation eh? a bit of a PR key for the british so they send around a missive that says that any british commando caught on a french beach should be paraded to the local town without anything uh, then other reasons on show basically just to disprove that such a large appendage is possible and that apparently is where the phrase to go commando comes from it's, it's it's about being parading around with nothing on your nether regions wow so that was all down to hitler and churchill it would be great if that story was true i was a soldier i fought in the war i saw people dying and i saw so much more a hero I saw people said I prayed for the living and I cried for the dead Can you imagine then just how I would feel If you told me that your love for me was real I'm just a to conclude my simple ramblings here then now that i've thought about a few things i hope it's all been to your taste even matt's story about going commando i'd like to thank ray for allowing me to play some of the songs from his new album you'll find it on itunes simply search for ray humphreys and also to everybody else that has contributed to this radio stockton heath podcast 
We're not a radio station, and it's not just about Stockton Heath. I'll go now then, and I'll speak to you again soon. Music